If you arrived after the opening greeting this morning or haven't yet had a chance to peruse the announcements in your bulletin, our liturgist this morning is the Reverend Dr. Jean Morris, visiting us from Grace Presbyterian Church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and my first cousin. My mother was Canadian, a war bride who married my Californian father just before VE Day. The U.S. Army was putting communications lines up along the Alaska Highway, important to the war effort because of Alaskan oil. My father was a company clerk with the Army Signal Corps, stationed in my mother's hometown of Edmonton. He met my very Scottish-Canadian mother at a young people's group at the First Presbyterian Church of Edmonton, and she ended up a Californian. My mother's name before she married was Jean Morris. Our names tell us who we are, and sometimes our names remind us of whose we are. If you look at my family tree on my mother's side, you'll see many of the same names, lots of Jeans and Janets and Jessies, lots of Donalds and Johns and Gordons. My name came from my mother's sister, our Aunt Agnes. I am deeply grateful that when my Aunt Agnes was still a young girl, she told my mother, if you ever name a child after me, for heaven's sake, don't name her Agnes. <laughs> name her Joanne, which was my aunt's middle name. My name tells me that even though I was born and raised in California, I belong to my Scottish-Canadian family, too. Belonging is that innate human desire to be part of something larger than ourselves. Social science researcher and author Brene Brown asked a group of eighth graders to come up with a difference between fitting in and belonging. The kids said, belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. I get to be me if I belong. I have to be like you to fit in. Brown says it doesn't matter where in the country she asks this question or what type of school she's visiting. Middle and high school students understand how this works. Fitting in, the skill most of us learned all too well in adolescence and can't entirely shake in adulthood, is all about changing yourself so you're acceptable to your peer group, while belonging is simply being accepted and valued just as you are. I have called you by name. You are precious to me, says God through the prophet Isaiah. Those are life-giving words, life-changing words, grace-filled words. Everyone should hear those words sometime or another. And that is exactly what baptism says to us. Today we celebrate baptism of the Lord. In the Mark passage, it seems as though everybody's heading out to the wilderness by the River Jordan to be baptized by John, who is described as looking enough like an Old Testament prophet that we know we're supposed to make that connection. Jesus heads out too but not to fit in, rather to belong, to be in solidarity with all those people looking for a new beginning, longing for a new life. 
the dramatic description of the heavens ripping apart and the spirit descending like a dove tell us it's really God who shows up as a witness to this baptism. These special effects also symbolize that this is a new beginning, a new creation, a new human being. The real focal point of the story, however, is when God speaks. You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Life-giving words. Grace-filled words. Words of belonging, identity, worth, and unwavering regard. Everyone should hear these words sometime or another. This event, Jesus' baptism, isn't a minor detail in Mark's story about Jesus. It's foundational. It's the very first episode of Jesus' life that Mark shares with us. It's just four verses into chapter one. It happens before Jesus begins his ministry, before he does anything that we know about. And it isn't just a preamble to all that comes later in his life. It's the high point and climax of the whole story. You are God's beloved. In you, God is pleased. For the rest of the gospel story, again and again, as Jesus casts out unclean spirits, heals the sick, feeds the hungry, and welcomes the outcast, he will only do for others what has already been done for him. He will tell the hurting and the broken and the ordinary folks in word and deed that they too are beloved children of God with whom God is well pleased. So these words of belonging and grace are not unique to Jesus. They echo the Isaiah passage. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. And just as with Jesus, these words of grace are for us before we do anything. That's one of the reasons we practice infant baptism in the Presbyterian Church. Before we believe anything, before we can recite creeds or accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, before we do anything, God claims us. We don't have to, be, have to do anything at all to be declared worthy of God's love. We are worthy because we belong to God. Today is an anniversary of sorts for me. Ten years ago on Baptism of the Lord Sunday, I preached my candidating sermon here in this pulpit. For those of you who aren't familiar with the way a Presbyterian church selects a pastor, a candidating sermon is sort of like the final audition before a congregation votes to call a pastor. Ten years ago, I told a story, and it's a story worth retelling, and so I'm celebrating my anniversary by retelling it this morning. In his book, The Good News from North Haven, Michael Lindvall describes a baptism in a little Presbyterian congregation in Minnesota. Angus McDowell, the patriarch of the church, came to the pastor and informed him that his son, Larry, and Larry's wife, Sherry, who lived in Spokane, would be visiting for Thanksgiving weekend, and they had just had a son, 
named Angus Larry. Angus wanted to know if the pastor would baptize the baby while they were in town over the holiday. The pastor, good Presbyterian that he was, talked about the integrity of the sacrament of baptism and asked Larry and Sherry's, asked about Larry and Sherry's church affiliation, explaining that it would be best for the child to be baptized in the church where he would be raised. Though they'd been in Spokane for nine years, they just hadn't settled into a church. The pastor talked about the importance of the parent's commitment to the church, any church, and the weighty promises they would be making. And Angus caught the drift. Larry and Sherry ought to find a church home out in Spokane, and then they could have a baptism, either in Spokane or North Haven. Angus listened with quiet dignity, and the pastor thought the matter was settled. Angus left the meeting and called a special meeting of session to approve the baptism of Angus Larry. <laughs> they had the meeting and voted 9-0 to zero to approve the baptism. So on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, little Angus Larry was baptized. In that congregation, it was the custom for the pastor to ask, who stands with this child? And then the whole extended family of the little ones would rise and remain standing for the baptism. So, with Angus Larry in his arms, the pastor asked, who stands with this child? And Angus and his wife Minnie and Sherry's parents and a couple of cousins all stood. After church, the pastor went back into the sanctuary to turn out the lights. There was a middle-aged woman sitting in the front pew. She wasn't as well-dressed as most of the folks who just rushed home for turkey leftovers. The pastor had seen her before but didn't know her name. She said her name was Mildred Corey. She said it was a lovely baptism. After a long pause, she said that her daughter, Tina, had just had a baby and, well, the baby ought to be baptized, shouldn't it? The pastor suggested that Tina and her husband should call him and they would talk about the baptism. Mildred hesitated again and then took a deep breath and said, Tina's got no husband. She's 18 years old and she was confirmed in this church four years ago. She used to come here but started seeing this boy and then she got pregnant and decided to keep the baby and she wants to have it baptized here in her own church but she's nervous to come talk with you, Reverend. She named the baby James, Jimmy. The pastor said that he would bring the request to the church session for approval. When the matter came up at the session meeting, there were a couple of moot questions about why in the world Tina Corey was keeping the baby. The pastor explained what they already knew, that Tina was a member of the church, unmarried, and he didn't know who the father was. Everybody else knew, though, because it was a small town. The father was Jimmy Hawthorne, who was now at basic training at Fort Bragg. Some asked if Tina would stick to the commitment she was making in having her child baptized. The pastor remarked that she and little T Jimmy were here, after all, right here in town, where the congregation could give her support. He didn't have to say, and not in Spokane. They all thought it. The session approved it, but it hurt to picture it. The teenager Tina holding little Jimmy, 
and Mildred the only one to stand when the question was asked. It was the Sunday before Christmas, and the church was full. The elder read the three-by-five card the pastor had given him. Tina Corey presents her son for baptism. Tina came down the aisle, nervously, shaking slightly, with month-old Jimmy in her arms, a pacifier in his mouth. The pastor began the baptism liturgy. Who stands with this child? He nodded at Mildred, coaxing her to her feet. She rose slowly. The pastor's eyes went back to his service book, and he was ready to proceed with the baptism when he noticed some movement in the pews. Angus McDowell was standing, and Minnie beside him. Then a couple of other elders stood. Then the sixth grade Sunday school teacher, then a new couple, and soon the whole church was standing up with little Jimmy. Tina was crying, of course, and Mildred Corey was holding on to the pew in front of her as though she were standing on the deck of a ship rolling in a great wind, which, in a way, she was. And in one way or another, many, if, if not most of us are, as well. Everybody is going through something. Everybody sitting around you this morning in these pews, everyone you know is facing something. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, economic insecurity, a scary diagnosis, kids making bad choices, divorce, addiction, depression, the ravages of aging in yourself or someone you love, loneliness. Will I have enough money to retire? Will I ever find a job? Will my brother or mother or daughter ever speak to me again? We Presbyterian types tend not to publicize these things, and that's okay, really. But the risk is that people start believing that everyone around them has it all together and that they are the only ones whose life is messy, complicated, and hard. We can think we're alone. We can think we don't fit in. But here's the thing. We belong. We belong to God who claims us and calls us by name. Being God's children doesn't protect us or any of the rest of the world from the messy stuff, the complicated stuff, the hard stuff. But it's in the midst of that that God whispers to all of us, to everyone, this is my beloved. In you I am well pleased. I have called you by name. You are precious to me. And we belong to each other. When we are baptized with Christ, we are baptized into his ministry of grace to love others as we are loved, to stand with everybody whose life is messy and complicated and hard, which means with everybody. We are baptized to stand with all the Tina Corys and baby Jimmys, as well as with the Angus McDowells. We are baptized to stand with the hurting and the doubting, the weak, the lonely, the outcast, the forgotten. We are baptized to stand with the very old and the very young, we are baptized to stand with all those who fear. This week, the French, 
including the Muslims who face having their whole religion blamed for the wrongs of a few fanatics. And we are baptized to stand with each other. We are baptized to stand with you. This is my beloved. In you I am well pleased. Accept it. Claim it and live it. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.